Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. This should be coming out a couple weeks after Thanksgiving. Did you go to church on Thanksgiving, Wade? I, <laughs> I did not. I, pre- I preached, actually. It was, it was quite a delight. Yeah. Before, um, before this uh, episode started, I was telling Mike how good I had been in not bringing up my opinion about Thanksgiving services. And I, I'll say it's fair because I usually jump on something with you at the beginning, but uh, no, I did not, and I'm not going to bring up my reasons why because I don't need more. Uh, I wonder more if the, emails. I wonder if the Lions won. If more Lions fans went no, to Lions, church that day. Lions are playing for a draft pick right now, okay. and uh, they're doing very well. Are you thanks? Are you thankful for the Lions? No. Okay. I'm not thankful for any Michigan sport right now. Michigan State and Michigan both. Uh, no, I, I, I was just hearing about too. like it's one of those. It happens once in a while, like one. One city has like all the champions, and then there's times when one city is like all their all teams the are bad. All yeah. Detroit Red Wings are not good. Pistons right. are not good. Tigers are terrible. Lions are the Lions. And Sparty football's Sparty's terrible. Football. Michigan football got it's exposed. I hate yeah. to bring it up. No, it's fine. I love. Uh, Both their hockey teams are terrible too, but yeah. their basketball teams are good. I did someone enjoy Michigan getting elevated in number four and then getting smoked. Yeah, uh, you knew that was going to happen. But Sparty's already been getting exposed to so um all right so if you went to thanksgiving for church that's great and i'm not going to take a position on that uh this year uh, but we hope you had a great thanksgiving christmas is coming up uh we hope you have a wonderful uh advent uh we're four or five days in advent now i've been doing yep. the calendar yep. Something like that. um so if you're doing your calendar you know for sure the answer to that question and uh we we hope you are enjoying this time of year um, we should have a number of winging nets and a couple episodes uh, dropping here. We'll be catching up a bit. Uh, ben and Peter insist on this work thing, um, and so uh, we're getting a little caught up on getting stuff released, but we do have some things in the pipeline which we're excited about. Um, just before we get started, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. I can't remember how many podcasts they're up to now, but there are a lot. Um, if you're interested in other podcasts from a Christian or a Lutheran perspective, you can check those out. Just as we always say, make sure you come back to let the bird fly. Um, I don't think we... Only other announcement that we, we haven't done well is if you like the podcast, subscribe. That helps us a lot. Share it on Facebook or whatever social media you're on. I, I don't know if uh, people tweet it much. I kind of stay off the Twitter. There's a lot of anger on there. It kind of scares me. I don't know if you can even share something on Instagram, to be honest. I haven't quite figured it out. Um on Instagram, they always say, this is the thing that gets my Instagram, is a link in bio. And I still don't know what that means, and it drives me nuts because it'll be like a news story and I want to read it. And I still don't know how to get to the to the link. So if anybody knows how to do that, <laughs> feel free to shoot me an email because I'll see something. I'll be like, oh, that a story about Hong Kong. I'm really interested in that. And it'll be like link in bio, and I don't even know where to find the Just bio. Just click the person's biography or their... Their, but what if it's a news organization? Their name or, or the, you know, like the home screen. And then the link will be underneath that. They'll update that. So it doesn't go to just their whole feed then. All right, well, I'm going to try that then because that's been very frustrating to me. Um, but otherwise, subscribe, share, spread the word. We really appreciate it. And it, um, it, uh, it helps us uh, kind of expand the conversation. If you have feedback, as always, we're happy to hear it. Um, you can email. You can comment on Facebook. Hit us up with a message. Um, we try to be pretty good at getting back on those. We are privileged today uh, to have back in the podcast studio for the second week in a row now um, the Reverend Dr. Phil Hebner, um, who teaches at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. Um, he was on uh, in an episode that will be coming out hopefully this week yet um, to discuss his uh, dissertation project, his thesis project that he did at Fort Wayne when he was doing his doctorate on uh, what do we do with <coughs> children in the church. In fact, that's the title what do we do with children in the church and we talked a lot about um some of the the problems or the issues that that may uh face the church uh, in homes and stuff like that of what should we do with with children um but we didn't get a chance to get a lot into constructive ideas i think that's maybe fair to say and so the goal today is to get a little bit more into the constructive ideas we're going to go ahead and skip the free-for-all. There's going to be some of these episodes where we have a lot of content we want to get to where we're just going to skip the free-for-all. Some of you will really like that. Some of you won't like that. Um, but there's just times we want to be able to get to the content. And so we're going to skip the free-for-all and get right to the main topic. Um, 
when we get to the main topic, we'll let Phil introduce himself a little bit more again. But in the meanwhile, Mike, why don't you go ahead and give us the uh, disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. back. As uh, Wade had indicated, we uh, have the privilege to have uh, Phil Hebner, uh, Reverend Dr. Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School here, who had uh, written a dissertation on what to do with children in church, a study on helping parents engage their children in worship, and we'll probably concentrate more on the tagline there, the on helping parents engage their children in worship. And Phil gave us a copy of that, and it's very impressive. You want to know why? 380 footnotes. Not too it's many, not, yeah. not too, not too small. So we, you know, it's good. I don't it's even have to. Re- I don't even have to read it. I, I wouldn't just, read it. Yeah. I just look at the how many footnotes there are. We should mention, Mike. We had a, a bit of a moment up here on the third floor. Um, <laughs> I was somewhat. I'm somewhat jealous. Mike and I both work here full time. We have relationships with these students, and sometimes they seem kind of happy to see us and meet us, but but never too excited. And I had a, a group of students um, in the podcast studio. We were doing an oral exam. Uh, they do that as a group at the end of the year for ethics. And uh, there's more seats in the studio, so we come in here, and then I apologize for our meme wall in advance. <laughs> but uh, the, the students were leaving, and uh, I don't know, Phil or Mike, which of you would prefer to, to let us know what happened? I, was very, I, I better do it. So, um, so he's walk- <laughs> the student's walking by, and Phil comes up, and uh, the student recognizes Phil from Time of Grace, which is a... a series of video devotions i guess and uh recognized him by his appearance like not like oh i read a book or whatever Man, i don't like, think she even heard your voice did like she? was like it's better that way yeah, yeah i've i've seen this person before that person's famous and then she you know uh, said some nice things about phil and that seemed sincere yeah and yeah. i was in my office and so i yelled out would you like an autograph yeah <laughs> but uh did you give an she, no she didn't <laughs> so i think it was just uh, a fake sincerity but yeah. so <laughs> shout out to gabby if she ever listens uh, gabby's a good student she did a very good job on her uh exam i don't think i'm breaking any privacy laws because i'm not giving a last name but uh <clears throat> so i was impressed we uh the uh i think that's a uh a good shout out for the videos that you do usually a week at the time when you it's your is it your time of grace or time of grace well i think they call it now grace talks which grace is an talks. offshoot where they have a yeah morning devotion so I, i've done like five or or six maybe seven weeks in a year we rotate with some other pastors and it's always an interesting thing when you're out and about and maybe preaching and someone comes up and and says something not that you're in any way famous they, yeah you're probably just up that week which i am this week um with my videos uh Usually they'll say something awkward like, "I was in the restroom with my phone and I was watching." <laughs> nice, you know, I was watching. You. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to, if we remember when we do the show notes, maybe link to this week's uh, devotion. So, uh, I interrupted. I apologize, but Phil, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself again? If you haven't listened to the previous episode, I encourage you to go back at some point. But I don't think you have to hear that one first to get this one. I think you could go in either order for that. Um, but in case someone hasn't met you yet through the podcast, a little bit about yourself. Uh, so again, name is Pastor Phil Hebner. I went to Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary just a couple years behind uh, Wade and Mike. And uh, my first call at the seminary was a mission church that was in Palm Coast, Florida. And uh, we started uh, the old school way from nothing in my living room. And the big uh, growth spurt came through our, our preschool and our school. Lots of families, lots of children, lots of parents 
which kind of led to the genesis of this topic. Uh, four years ago, I accepted a call to serve as the campus pastor at Wisconsin Lutheran High School in Milwaukee. So I guess I found all my ministry now j- just engaged with parents, engaged with children, um, you know, from the beginning stages in preschool, uh, middle school, and then seeing kind of how they turn out in, in high school and the, the direction um, they take in life, which may be based on what they experience in their home or in their church. And so that's maybe led to a lot of thoughts on this topic. And uh, as as we pick up with the topic, then we're going to be hitting on themes that will come from your uh, doctoral thesis, um, which itself is a study of not just issues, but of how to help parents um, engage their children in worship. Uh, we talked a little bit before the episode on, on how we might progress. And so I think we'll have you in a moment, maybe give as best you remember a summary of some of the issues or the challenges that brought this about, the study you did, um, and what you looked at in the project. But then we're going to get it uh, three categories. So now what um, kind of parents at home, uh, and then what churches can do, and then what schools can do. Does that sound about right, Phil? Mm-hmm. Yep. So why don't we go ahead and start first with the summary, a little bit of summary of what brought the project about. Um, some of the issues we talked about last time to get people ready for uh, the solution, maybe if not solutions, ideas that will be presented. Yeah, so maybe I'll just skim over some of the the problems very quickly. Uh, You know, one thing that we see in America is this generational deterioration and maybe point in case is just the the breakdown of the family nucleus um, with about half of marriages ending in divorce or separation. Um, You know, children not getting the attention they need because parents (coughs) either aren't present or have separated. And so, so that's that's tough, and um, and I would think with with both parents working now more than ever as well. That's right. So you have you have that kind of a thing. Uh, so uh, children in daycare and preschool more than ever before. So who exactly is raising the children? And then you have parenting styles changing over time, where you have um, continual what I call passed off parenting, where someone else is going to always take care of my kids at at the YMCA in daycare. Um, you know, so it's kind of natural as you progress through all of these things. Well, of course, at church, I want that service, too, that someone's going to take care of my children. Um, so you have all, all these things going on in our culture and our society. So we'll kind of um, skip over all that and just get to, um, so how do we approach this topic? And, and I guess I circled around. Uh, so, of course, we want to look at the scriptures and the confessions and such. But, but every angle you can look at, what, what does science tell us, for example, about children and parents? So, there, you know, there's some really helpful things. You know, how do children learn best? Well, mimicking. You can speak from this from an educational standpoint, too, by, by mimicking and copying, uh, repetition, uh, things over and over and over again. Um, guided practice is a really big thing in education. Uh, you know, you, so you think of a, a parent doing something, no, no, this is how you do it, and then the kid says, you know, no, I do, I do, I do now. And, and the parent teaches them through that guided <coughs> practice. And, and then we know very well that all of us learn through our senses so well. Um, that it's not just you hear, but you also do, and then you can smell and see, and you know all that kind of stuff. You know, so you think about how science relates to what the church has so wisely set up for us in in the the service, and in particular, like in the liturgy, where there's a repetition week after week after week, where there's. Uh, an intended guided practice where there's parents and and their children, maybe even grandparents, um, guiding them through it, doing it with them. Um, Children mimic what they see with the the folded hands, bowing their heads, standing up, uh, sitting down, all that kind of stuff. And then certainly uh, you can engage the senses quite a bit bit in worship with um, what you see and what you what you smell and what you do and you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, another angle then the take on the topic is just to think over history. So if you do a survey of, of church history, um, maybe you go all the way back to the Old Testament, you know, history-wise, and you have a lot of, and all Israel was there gathered together for um, Solomon's temple dedication and, and so many other events, Josiah's reform and stuff like that. Um, think through then historical records outside of the Bible about what they did in those times. Uh, for example, there's some ruins of the, the um, synagogue in Capernaum that are still around. Well, what we see there is there's just one room. So it's not like they had a, a room down the hallway for children or a room down the hallway for you know the women to go and all that kind of stuff. Uh, everyone was all gathered together in one place. 
And you think about the early church and how we know that they got the, the letters from, you know, Paul and Peter, etc., and, and they read them in their gatherings, kind of like how we have, you know, the epistles read. But you have to think about what you hear in the epistles. Here you have Paul writing letters that he knew would be read in their gatherings, like in their worship, and he's giving commands like, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, why would he even say that unless children were actually going to be present and, and hear that? Um, then you have the, the early church, you know, through the early couple centuries, we know about children as lectors and children choirs, and, and that goes all the way up through Luther's time, who was really big at reforming that too, the participation of families and children and, and catechizing um, well, both adults and children through his sermons and, and through the hymns that he wrote and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we kind of see this practice of, of, of children being there for worship, in worship, with their parents all throughout history, and then, you know, reinforced by what we see in the scriptures. And of course, you can always throw in passages like, let the little children come to me and, and things like that. So we don't want to be too dogmatic and make, make laws where there, there are not, where we have descriptions. We don't want to make prescriptions. Uh, and we, we certainly know there's some realms of, of adiaphora and things we can do, you know, say a children's church or, or whatever. But it would seem to me from science and from history and from scripture and more that the wisest practice seems to be children with their parents side by side maybe grandparents too, uh, the whole family of God together, um, learning, growing, repeating, singing, praising, proclaiming, hearing, and that's how they're going to grow the most in worship. I, side note, don't let me go long on this mic, but I have been thinking, uh, you mentioned Adiaphora, and I do think a fun Lutheran board game to make um, just because whenever these discussions come up, we, we go to Adiaphora, and I, I think, Phil, you handled this very well last time, and, and you're, you're now too, but <coughs> we kind of like to use something being Adiaphora as a reason to not discuss it. When one of my favorite quotes is from our Senate president where he gave a paper, and he says, Adiaphora is not what ends the discussion, but where it begins. Right now, this is where we start to discuss it. <clears throat> but what about a board game like Monopoly, and you have to like navigate confessional Lutheranism and you know how Monopoly has a get out of jail free card and you land on something and you play an Adiaphora card because <laughs> I've noticed and maybe you've noticed this at the high school um, in our circles and I think Wisconsin and Missouri Synod I'll have a lot of students who I'll ask other catechetical topics and they maybe don't have a grasp on it but they know that word Adiaphora <clears throat> and they kind of know to use it when it's in their favor and what do you? Th I mean, would you would you guys oh, buy absolutely. that? You play that game? I think it'd be people a fun already game. play that card. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, we, we we use that trump card all the time. And you could like navigate. You could have like, um, you know, as you're making your way around the Monopoly board, like PowerPoint screens, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, potlucks, or you know, you pick different things people might argue about, like um, funny church signs, you know, and then you land on it, and then you're like, oh, there's disagreement amongst us, Adiaphora, and then you get to advance. Mm -hmm. Like two more things, like maybe down to like online offerings, <clears throat> or I'm trying to think things that people don't get too worked up about, yeah. but that they disagree about. Well, and Adi what's so great about the Adiaphora card is that if you're doing it, you go, that's my freedom, Adiaphora card. Yeah. And if you don't like that, you get to say, don't tell me what to do. We're right. not going to discuss this. Adiaphora card. I just can't figure out what would be like where you get to where you win. Like what would be the confessional? I don't think anybody like, wins in that. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of, you just kind of float around. <laughs> like there's just no end to it. You just keep going. <laughs> I didn't know if it'd be like, maybe like for Missouri Synod, like you land on August Peeper or the brief statement. And then, like, for Wells, maybe you end up on, like, this we believe. And then you're, that's considered home. <laughs> do, what do you get when you pass go? I, I would guess you. I think this has some potential. I think for, for the Missouri Synod, you would get, maybe that's where you should get the brief statement. And then for Wells, when you pass go, you get this we believe. Second time, you get Wauwatosa Theology. Maybe Missouri, you get the brief statement, then you get... I think Hebrews there's dogmatics. there's a lot of potential for it, but I think you need to think about it a little bit more. And then, and like I for think the, yeah. the like the real confessional, like the really high church Missouri Synod, third time through, you get the Lutheran hymnal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there's some potential there. I I think you should think on it and come back and yeah. and and think about 
Monopoly. If it were our game, every time you pass goal, your collar gets taller. <laughs> <laughs> like, Bort's got the high... Is it Bort who has the high no, one? They, they, Keeker, I think. No, they make fun of me for having the Oh, because my neck's too fat for the big one. But All right, sorry, that's a distraction. So All right, so, uh, yes, Phil. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about some Adiaphora today. Um, and as we talk about it, just a disclaimer I like to give when we talk about Adiaphora is we realize we're in the realm of Christian freedom. Um, we realize we're in the realm of we're not making any... New Testament ceremonial laws, um, but I think we are having a conversation that we should have, um, and one that I love that Schrader quote that where the conversation should begin um, in Christian freedom. What are some things? And I, I like Phil that you've gone to of, of knowing your audience. Um, I think that's something that they probably do more in homiletics at the seminary now than when we were there, and I think it's a helpful thing to do. Of how do people learn? Um, who is your audience? What's your average listener? Um, because there are things we Jesus obviously knew his audience, and he uses parables or appeals to a um, you know he wants them to have a gut emotional reaction at some things, and so I think the question is what is why what is perhaps wisest or most beneficial? You're free to disagree, but I'm looking forward to kind of hearing um, Phil's thought based on stuff. That's always the nice thing too is the Adiaphora. It's even better to talk about Adiaphora when you've studied it and you're informed um, than when you haven't. So. That's our disclaimer. So if you get upset at something, you can email us. Don't bother um, the good Reverend Doctor Hebner. Now, if you have you want you want follow up, you have thoughts, you want um, ideas. I'm guessing you're probably happy to answer. Yeah, I'd be glad to. And I guess if you're going to throw a Schrader quote, maybe I can too. But it's from his, I believe, his nephew. I, th- I think there's a symposium on worship at, at our Wisconsin Seminary, maybe uh, ten years ago or so, and it was on worship styles. And he wrote on on Adiaphora some, something like I'm paraphrasing. Um, you know, I won't disagree with your freedom to choose a certain style of worship as long as you don't disagree with my freedom to disagree with you and think that's not wise. I like that. You I know? like that. And I think that plays in a lot with, with some of these things with children in church. Uh, sure, there's a lot of freedom to do things, but, you know, if we think carefully, I guess, and, and I've studied it quite a bit uh, in, in my freedom, I think maybe there's some wiser choices than, than others while, while you can do a lot of things. So maybe, so where do you start? You know, well, how about we start with the home and with the parents, which is kind of where God starts. That's the primary vocation when it comes to children with, with the parents. That's where the catechism starts. Right. So, you know, so what do you do well if we're going to think about the goal being children in, in worship sometimes that's intimidating because sometimes people think well you know worship is so cerebral and it's and it's above them uh, and again it's it's maybe thinking of, of things uh, too much <coughs> where you know like from an academic standpoint rather than a proclamation standpoint and receiving God's gifts etc so um, a lot of that comes down to just teaching you know so what can you do in the home well um, Home devotion is so important. Uh, you know, we hear encouragement from that, of course, in Scripture and, you know, the, the famous Moses stuff. Uh, talk about it, you know, when you wake up and when you walk and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, what if home devotion time was using, for example, the lessons of the pericope and previewing worship uh, in advance, that they can hear the lessons that they're going to hear, the readings on, on Sunday, that you can maybe engage in talking a the little bit. The prayer of the day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, can you use that at home uh, in, in the prayer of the day? or, or go, yeah, uh, go Just the, the, before you move on from home devotions, maybe add some more of that, but the, the concept of family altar, did you, did you kind of think that through... Um, you know, to literally, this is kind of more than just talking, but there is literally maybe even a family altar where you're praying and yep. there's some... Which is a phrase that appeared a lot in Lutherism in the past, right. and probably yeah. now a lot of current Lutherans would say, what are you talking about? Right, yeah. Yeah, so to have a, you know, to have a, a place that is not necessarily sacred within the house, maybe there's a, a painting, maybe there's a crucifix, maybe it's a place where this is where we gather to do the God's Word stuff in Easy the house. to do with Advent candles, but that, I mean, people are Absolutely. probably familiar with that, but that kind of, there's, it's actually, there's something visible... There's an orientation, maybe. Yeah. Mike, Mike Some, actually puts on his chasuble when they, when they do devotions. You know, whatever right? it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something more than gathered around the living room with the, the game in the background playing on mute, you know? Um, and, and as you do this, can, can you, how can you preview the service coming up? You know, so can you sing the hymn of the day? Or if you somehow gather, and maybe not every person knows that, uh, but can you gather, for, for, for example, from the pastor or can pastors give to their members one of the songs that's maybe a little easier to sing as a family? Or, or if not the hymn of the day each week, can you pick 
you know, you know, a hymn for the season. So is Advent right now. Can you can you have Savior of the Nations come and you just repeat that, you know, week after week in your devotions, maybe maybe one or two more, um, so that when you get to church, kids, oh, I've heard that before, and I know that, and I can join in that. And then in the same way, you know, why can't we have the songs of um, the liturgy that we hear so often be songs in our home too? Uh, in our Wisconsin Synod, we have just a great opportunity coming with uh, the new hymnal coming out, and uh, uh, some of the settings are going to be new to all of us. You know, I mean, what a prime time for teaching and learning um, as in the home. And I think there are going to be some resources, you know, for example, musical things you can click and download that you could do that at home to kind of guide you through. You know, so to use those things, to use the psalm of the day for the coming uh, Sunday as a, as a prayer at the end of the night, to, to make um, frequent in your home the, the Lord's Prayer, of course, I think a lot of families and parents do that, but the Apostles' Creed, things like that, so that when they get to church, um, it's not just some abstract thing and, you know, maybe the kids aren't old enough where they, they're not, they can't read yet, um, but they've learned it at home and they can participate and they can join in the songs. And I think a lot of parents, and, and maybe you guys would agree that, when your kids know those early on, they'll, oh, they'll join in and they'll just belt it out uh, sometimes to the shame of, of, of the adults that are there. So maybe we'll start with that. How can you engage children more in the home, you know, with your devotional life, kind of tying it in with the regular ebb and flow of the church year? Uh, one other thing that, that I guess was a focus of my dissertation, and there's actually a, an experiment involved with this, um, was how can parents engage like right before and right after church? So, for example, can you on the way to church, uh, maybe it's a five-minute drive, maybe it's 10 or 15, can you somehow get thoughts geared toward worship? Um, maybe not every parent knows exactly what's going to happen on a given Sunday in church. You know, maybe they don't know it's the second Sunday of Advent and John the Baptist is up or whatever. Um, but can they ask questions about, you know, what do you think when your parents go to communion and you see that? Or, uh, you know, something that gets them thinking about worship, that's previewing worship. Um, you know, if they do have a little more, maybe access to some of those lessons of the pericope and you know that John the Baptist is coming up this week, can, can you ask two or three questions and have a five-minute talk about John the Baptist on the way to church? Um, something I try to do that I found helpful is it's about a two-mile drive to church and somewhere in there I usually try to work in Will you guys just stop touching each other <laughs> and arguing? Well, that applies it's to church two minutes. too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I really find that focuses us. Yeah, super helpful. Yeah, right? that applies to the pew Sometimes as I well. Sometimes I swing so. wildly yeah. backwards. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, got to get out of your system before you yeah. actually get in front of other yeah. people. So, yeah, things yeah, like that though. Yeah, right? which is a good reminder because I was thinking the same thing uh, when I do go to church with my family, which is rare, um, just because we're because you're preaching because you don't right? like your family um, that. Uh, yeah, the ride to church is not great. So for, forgiveness for all of that, it's, you know. But oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Uh, I mean, here I'm, I'm the one who wrote all these encouragements, and I can admit that right. I haven't been great at it myself, you know. And I wrote this used... dissertation, you idiots. But yeah, you just, right. If we can't do it, nobody uh, can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't you know what the color for Advent is? I mean, come on. Uh, you know, so I think that's something there. And, and you know, the, how about when you get to, to church, and again, you know, we haven't always been great in our own family, but this has led me to different things and even to create some materials that I have shared here and there with various pastors uh, that I think there's a lot of this mentality with parents, just sit there and don't make a scene, you know, especially with younger kids. Mm -hmm. As long as you're quiet, then I won't be embarrassed and I can worship, but, and you're here and you'll soak stuff in, you know, but we don't want to have kids in this like, I'm just going to color the whole time. I, I'm reminded of my son um, maybe seven, eight years ago, which we put him at five or six, and uh, my wife looked down, and, and there he had um, 25 tally marks on his, and what, what are you doing here, Noah? Yeah. And, well, Dad's sermon was long, and I counted to 60 25 times. Nice. So he's, yeah. yeah. I used to have to tell Nick to stop coloring. He likes to color yeah. the. And I he's getting that. better. He's mostly in the lines, but. He does that in his notebook in class, yeah. too. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, you know, so th not but that is, just I mean, playing you bring up a good point there. I think um, something I've been more, more cognizant of is, and partly because some of my kids are on the tail end of where they're getting ready to go off to college or um, graduate high school, is to kind of watch them and see, like, are they actually listening or yeah. what are they, you know, we think of the third commandment, gladly hear and learn God's word. That requires action on the part of the, the hearer. Um, 
and that's something that I've noticed more and I guess I would fault myself more um, is I've not always been great on model. Well, A, I have a terrible attention span, but um, I think partly because I wasn't sitting for, with them for years, you know, because I was preaching, um, is modeling active listening yeah. for them. And it's hard not to be uh, legalistic as a, as a parent, you know. Why aren't you enjoying that? You're going to enjoy this service. Um, you know, but, but modeling is, I think, a big thing. And um, maybe we're veering just a little bit, but this is a related thought for sure. You know, how many times, especially as pastors, do you look out and, you know, you see, well, primarily like fathers mumbling words and, or barely even singing or just sitting there looking at the hymnal. And, you know, the attitude is reflected from the parents uh, very often. So, you know, to have kids not just coloring, not just playtime and you bring their color stuff from home and you, you have the grab bag of toys. You know, may, okay, maybe when they're just uh, infants. Um, but I, I, I know one parent from our high school who's had six kids go through the, the high school. They're all uh, up through and nearly graduated now. But uh, he told me uh, what he did, and I wish I had it in my paper. Um, when his kids were up to three, um, they kind of, you know, uh, staggered with their ages. Um, until they were three, they sat on his lap, and he used the finger with them and, you know, follow along in the hymnal of that. And when they could do it on their own, boom, you're next one on my lap. And then he would just do that year after year, week after week uh, with his kids, getting them into that, that habit. So uh, during the service doing that, um, one of the things I created for the project was like a children's note sheet. Uh, for example, you know, color something you or draw something you hear today in the service so you know if you hear jesus is the good shepherd maybe they draw a picture of the good shepherd which is good for younger age kids who can't like write down sermon notes for example or 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 check a box or circle um, an, an icon an image of you know a, a baptism shell and a communion chalice did we have communion today did we have a, a baptism today what was your favorite song today and, and why so something to engage in what's going on and then maybe just one final thing on that with the parents is also to do a debrief of kinds. Uh, you know, when you're leaving church to talk about what did you hear today? What, what, was, what did you get from church? What comforted you? What, what did you hear Jesus tell you today? Uh, what was your favorite song today? Maybe that's later in the afternoon. Maybe you have a Sunday afternoon devotion or maybe you still have time for um, pressing pause on football and doing the family dinner <laughs> on, on Sunday or something. But, but some kind of follow-up so that they're, they're previewing, they're engaging, and then they're processing afterwards that, that after a course of time, they'll really make a difference. So maybe if I just summarize for two minutes, I did this experiment with 200 parents and I gave them materials to do this. Um, unintentionally, I kind of uh, reinforced some things. So um, all the children who were 7 to 12, they did show signs. Their parents um, reported signs of them growing and being more engaged using that kind of material and that kind of system for a period of eight weeks. Now, children who were a little bit younger didn't quite show as much growth because I think the, that was my fault. The materials are maybe a little above their ages. However, um, a lot of the parents said, um, but I came up with this, or, and I came up with this because I knew we were trying to do this nice. thing with children in church. And, and actually, that was kind of unintentionally what this is all about. You are a parent coming up with something, engaging your children, and they're growing through all of that. So maybe I just pause with that. I think um, home life and on the way during and after worship are great ways to help get your kids going for worship. What, um, as far as the, the resources that you were giving, I take it this was like a packet you gave or this was? Yeah, I so had a series of packets with a before, during, and after, you know, materials for families for each of eight weeks. Okay. And it, is this something that the, the pastors were then in on too? Um, to, or was it this was the parents and the children, the follow-up was with strictly with the parents? or? Well, yeah, so it was just with the parents. I didn't want, I had to have... You know, it was supposed to be an official experiment, so I had yeah. to have a control group. Um, you know, so the way that worked is one group got the materials, the other group got nothing. And so maybe I should have been more clear. Um, for the younger ages, the group that got nothing from me, those people actually perform better. Because they came up with something? Because they came up with something on their own for their younger kids. Okay. But across the, uh, the board, for the, the, the people that had materials, the older kids, they're way better because they had stuff. Nice. Um, so no, some of the pastors had their families, you know, their wives participating in the pew with their children. Um, but this was all across the country, just kind of random churches, whoever wanted to participate. Um, but, but all of them saw this, aid, this need for materials to help. Um, I think it was like 90% of um, families said, no, we're not getting a lot of instruction as parents or as 
uh, for our children for what to do in worship. And something like 95-ish percent of pastors said, we would like something to help with this. Yeah. Well, and I like that it, the connection between the home and the church, I like that I think it, it um, helps root you in the church here, which is something we talked about all missing being out of the parish now um, for the family. But then also it seems like it almost incentivize not missing church because this is something you've been building up to all week um, with your devotional practices right. um, playing into that. Maybe then, um, so this was mostly the parents with the children. What about churches? What can churches be doing? Yeah, there's a lot of things that I'd like to mention here for a few <laughs> moments. Um, you know, I guess one thing that, that stuck in my mind, when we were struggling through this and people were, o- older folks were leaving our our church and and. It was just a really tough time, um, and I think of my, my dear, dear secretary, who my children actually still call grandma, um, and um, she would just be really in tears, and she'd say, I just don't get it. They say, they say at their baptisms in that rite, yes, as God gives me strength, I will do whatever I can to help raise this child in the faith, and how can they be, so, you know, so there's something to that. The community of believers is committing to raising these children together. Of course, the primary responsibilities with the parents, but we all do this together, you know. So what can churches do to help parents? Well, I think the pastor can do um, maybe a better job. I'll speak for myself. I could have done a better job um, instructing parents on how to be parents, on what it means to parent, on how to have their children in worship, especially for ones who are new to church life and new to worship. Right away in like those adult um, catechism classes, the Bible information classes, to, to teach them um, of course, I did what we do in worship, but how can you engage your children in worship? That I didn't do such a good job uh, teaching. So continual parenting classes, continual education. What is worship? Why is it important for you and for your children? And, uh, and then if the parent knows what's going on on Sunday morning, then the parent can teach what's to the children. But I think most of our parents, we just did a very poor job for a few generations of telling our people what was going on. I mean, more than just, okay, it's Advent now, but why do we sing the Sanctus when we see the Sanctus right. and the glory yep. when we sing? No, no, nobody knows. And I don't think there were a lot of Bible studies on that. Um, and I, I went to, with some new members, I actually built an adult instruction course off of the, the liturgy, so off of page 15. <clears throat> and really the... And you the realize whole, every doctrine's in there. The whole of the catechism is in the liturgy. You know, the invocation, we went through baptism in the catechism. <clears throat> the Lord's Supper, we went through the sacrament. At absolution, we went through both private and public absolution. Um, the confession, we got into sin and went through the Ten Commandments. You look at the songs of the liturgy and you cover Christmas and you cover Easter, the resurrection, you cover Good Friday. Um, and I had a lot of people who went through that and... Um, we're talking to members like during the liturgy about isn't it great whatever and I actually had members who asked for me to do that as the Sunday Bible class then because they mm-hmm. said they're telling me stuff we do that I never even knew meant that, that that's what mm-hmm. it meant and that actually became a, a good Bible class but it I mean that was probably five or six years into the parish before it even dawned on me maybe I should explain to people why we're doing what we're doing because you just kind of take for granted that they understand it <clears throat> And it makes sense that we should be doing that because you have to do that in every other aspect of life. And I mean, just to go back to, to coaching, because you mentioned last time, Phil, you coach and, and I coach a lot of sports. There's a lot of times where you just have to stop and say, we're going to rewind and we're going to get back to the fundamentals of how they play into this more advanced thing we're trying to do with you. And and I think a nice course on what we do on Sunday is like doing that. It's you know It's like telling the linemen, you're getting high too early, and and you know you're you're not getting out of the box the right way. Here's why we do that, and then you can work on the thing that comes after. And so I think that's where we find ourselves in the parish in a, or in the school, in a lot of situations where someone's coming and they have honest questions and they truly mean it when they say, "I don't know that I'm getting a lot out of this." And so the temptation can be of, "Well, I'm I'm going to have to give them something they can get something out of," instead of first saying. Well, can I help them get something out of what they're doing already? You know, the, the equivalent of getting in the weight room right. um, theologically with what we do in the in, in the worship service. Yeah, so I think, you know, there's great teaching 
opportunities that, that congregations can explore. And maybe one is kind of uh, where some of these solutions cross over. So, you know, one thing we want to be as a congregation and with our churches is child-friendly but not childish with our with our solutions. So, for example, take a children. I might, I might steal that without attribution. Just <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I might have to. I don't know where I got it from. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, anyways, um, you know, think of like a children's sermon. Um, boy, I think a lot of us have probably seen childish type things. You know, I've. Is it appropriate to bring a big Oscar the Grouch-sized garbage can into God's sanctuary? Uh, okay, maybe Adiaphora. And I've seen balloons popped with lighters and stuff in the middle of the service, and and uh, shop little shopping play uh, play school shopping carts. You know, and. Um, a lot of things that are maybe a little childish, probably with good intention for object lesson type teaching moments. Um, but to your point, well, if you're going to do a children's sermon, and certainly you can be warm and welcoming and friendly and pastoral to children that way, well, well how about you take up some of the things of the liturgy? You know, what if you did a series every year of children's sermons walking through the service? And... Um, you know, maybe to the shame of pastors, um, sometimes members say, well, I got more out of the children's sermon than I did out of the sermon. Well, okay, we can work on our preaching, but, you know, maybe they'll get a lot out of that little children's sermon illustration about the invocation, about the sanctus, the whatever. Um, or another thing, you know, pick, pick a color of the season, explain that. Um, pick the gospel, which kind of dictates the theme of the day, and, and do something very specific to that, you know, so uh, can you talk through things of worship with children in a children's sermon and kind of accomplish a couple things uh, all at the same time? Maybe that's another uh, a good solution to work on. And, and I think there are a lot of guys who have, I say guys because I mean pastors, I should yeah. clarify that, um, who have different thoughts on children's sermons. And um, and I think that's a great idea to do for, maybe there's someone who has children's sermons and they're not big on children's sermons, they're, they're not sure they want to do them. Um, well, A, don't be the bull in the china shop. Like, all of us have come out of SEM and been dumb. You know, it's eight years of training, and you're building up all the things you think you're right. going to do when you get out. Learn your congregation, love your congregation, take time. But that's a, a really good idea for a way to use that time. If you have that time set aside in your, in your congregation's tradition um, in a constructive way, right, which is one of the best ways to deal with the things you inherit to say, how can I use these in a constructive way? So whatever side you are on the issue of children's sermons, <clears throat> there's a way to do it that's drawn everybody in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe I'll offer one more thing just from the church front um, that I really wish I was back in the parish to, to try, but I, I had changed calls and, and now I'm at the high school and I, I discovered this after the fact. I can talk to the um, district president if, if you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm good for now. Um, and, and that's something called the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So uh, a lot of people are maybe familiar with the, the, the name Montessori. There's Montessori schools. So Maria Montessori lived in the 1870s, and I think she was Italy's first female doctor or something like that. Hmm. Uh, but she, she is what brought forward this kind of um, self-reflective, uh, learn through ac action, learn through play. So uh, like a Montessori preschool has children uh, do a lot of things in groups, in you know, through reflection, thinking on things that they've been taught, etc. Well, in the 1950s, um, I believe it was also in Italy, there was a, a woman who I think was a nun by the name of Sofia Cavalletti. And she brought this Montessori style um, to to church, so to speak, or, or maybe better said, to Sunday school. And uh, there's been a lot of people, um, um, Jerome Berryman is one name and, and others, Stuart, uh, who have done this now uh, throughout the world. So basically, here's how the catechesis of the Good Shepherd goes. You have, a, if you can, a dedicated room in, in the church. doesn't have to be, but it's better if it is, which is kind of like your sacred space for the kids. And so kid, kids come in, and the way she would do this is, uh, you know, they take off their, their shoes. This is, um, you know, sacred space. The lights would be turned down a little bit. Uh, the kids would work together to set up rows, like, like in a church, you know, with chairs. Um, they would do kind of like 
play altar guild, so to speak, and they set up like a little altar and they have altar cloths and they would light candles. Uh, and so they do the kind of the churchy kind of setup. And so the lights would be dim and the candles would be on. So they knew it was, it was quieter time. And they got, kids get that, kids get that. Um, and then they would have some kind of um, rite. And usually it was a, a frequent response. So one that was used often in the Catechist of the Good Shepherd is, you know, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. And, and they, they have this little... Um, response to, to start this opening dialogue. Maybe there's a song or two. Then there's a little message. She was really big on the Good Shepherd story. So you teach that story, and then from there you kind of break off. And um, much like m- maybe people are familiar with preschools, how they have like learning stations, like there's the, the free play station, mm-hmm. and then there's your activity station. So one station is like doing a, a project, a craft, or something on that story. Another one was like a quiet well, prayer station, I guess. Another one was where uh, you know the kids could could play and act out the story, like the like the Good Shepherd. And so through all of this, they were they were doing worship things. They were learning things of worship. And I guess the the thought struck me. You know, what if we did that? Sometimes um, churches feel like Sunday school gets a little stale. Uh, you know, it's the same old lessons over and over again, especially if you have a, a, a parish school attached and, and, and kids say, well, I just heard these stories this, this last week and now I'm hearing about Abraham again. I wonder if, you know, if there's like a, a Sunday Bible study hour, if if there was time taken throughout the year, maybe not every Sunday, but, you know, for a month or two, could could this catechesis of the Good Shepherd thing work? where it's like a training ground for young children to understand sacred space and reverence, maybe to learn some of the songs of the liturgy, um, a hymn or two. Maybe you can tie it into that theme for the day, that gospel for the day. I even wonder if, uh, would it be a wild and crazy thing if you did a whole week-long vacation Bible school or a three-day vacation Bible school in the summer where kids did this kind of stuff instead of wild and crazy, fast-paced yeah. music, and we're going to dance and shout and scream. And, and then maybe the kids throw, want to bring their parents to see the divine service they've been living out. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I think this catechism of the Good Shepherd thing is a fascinating thing. I, I don't know of any Lutheran churches that, that do it personally. Maybe it is. Um, but I have always wanted to try it, and I thought that would be a really great training ground for um, children being engaged very fluently into the regular service. Well, just maybe some things. Mike was the, writing something, so I no, yeah. I so I don't know if you came up with this, and these are not be all and end all things, but some things that, looking back on what I did or other people do within the context of the liturgy, we talked about the acolyte program. You mm-hmm. know, that's next. That's kind of cool. Um, but just the power of blessing too. I remember we had a seminary professor would say, you know, bless your children after you say the you know the prayers at night, and I they always kind of bothered me a little bit that well it's, i make jokes about our chapel you know we give the blessing and then then there's an awkward silence and then we say well and then have a blessed day you know like <laughs> well you just get it's kind of like the words like the power of the word is somehow we just don't respect like mm-hmm. i this was a this was a prayer this was a, a gospel actually a gospel proclamation and so um i started and a lot of a lot of parishes do this when they kids are coming up with their parents for communion, you bless them and have the pastor stoop low and, and, and acknowledge, them. acknowledge mm-hmm. their existence. Right. Uh, and y'all have to do is say the Lord bless you and keep you. And then I know some parishes have uh, on St. Michael um, and all angels day is that the children would come up for a blessing. It's not a magical thing. I mean, we, we ask God to bless this house. We say the blessing and it's again, not a magical thing, but that there's the power of the word there. And so that's another way maybe just to, just to get them actively involved in the church service, be acknowledged kind of things. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's so many things we did talk about a little bit last time, but you know, acolyte program and children's choirs. I mean, there's so many new songs, psalms, and again, with for us, a new hymnal coming out that can be introduced by children's choir. In fact, it might even sound better than some of the adult choirs. And, you know, children lectors, we don't want to be too free with that as, you know, we want to proclaim clearly the Word of God, but that is a practice that goes all the way back to the beginning of, of the Christian church, having um, children of an appropriate age um, be a part of, of lectors, you know, young boys, eight, nine, ten years old, twelve years old, something like that. Um, you know, by the time they get maybe a little older, um, they probably can do technology better than all the adults. Mm-hmm. So if you have like a sound booth or something, yeah. have them work with that. Some um, really enjoy helping with the altar guild stuff if they get yes. an invitation from yep. an older 
uh, <clears throat> from an adult, I yep. guess, you know, and that's a great opportunity for them to learn about the different communion yep. vessels and, and what they mean and the vestments. And yeah, I mean, can you have a junior usher program, you know, so you have ushers and then can the, the kids go with them and help pass the offering plate or can the children be the ones to pass out the friendship register or guest book if you have something like that where they're kind of training continually uh, in being part of the service where it just is a norm for them to be there and to be participating. I, I think all those are great things. So uh, maybe the last thing I'll talk about um, and then we can just go wherever, but that's for those who have preschools or schools um, with their parish, and, and we had both of those. I think there's just so many opportunities. Um, a lot of schools, uh, Lutheran schools, use a hymnology curriculum, um, but you know you can shape that and crest that to make sure you're really on board with what is what are the hymns we're singing in this season. Yeah. You know what's up for this so coming it's not Sunday. Just an academic exercise of memorization right yeah. that you're actually going to make use of, of of what you're learning you know similarly if if you have a, a lesson with your children you know first grade second grade whatever and you're talking john the baptist or take them to the church if it's attached and and go talk about the font and the symbolism of the church uh you know things like uh things of that nature um, a lot of pastors do what i think is very wise and i did and i personally loved um, is that we had school chapel regularly. So for us, it was every Friday for 10, 15 minutes. Um, boy, those are great teaching times to teach them songs. And, and we did sing um, a different setting, um, a more contemporary setting of the Gloria. And man, those kids had that refrain down and they would just belt that out on, on Sunday morning. Uh, I, d I did a lot of teaching of the sim we, symbolism. We had, uh, And that's where it's nice to do the chapel service in the church correct. if logistically you're able to do If something. you're able to, yeah. T teach them what's going on. What are you looking at? Why do we do this uh, to walk them through why why do we stand here why does the pastor face this direction here and you know why is the sign of the cross made and, and to walk them through those things and then when it's not that kind of teaching sort of a chapel how can you tie it in with what they will hear uh, perhaps you know for us Friday two days later on, on Sunday so that kids are ready for that they hear that they're thinking about that maybe even kind of um I had a lot of this, you know, go tell mom and dad that this Sunday we're going to talk about. And it was amazing how many parents did come to church um, because they were they, their children were encouraged by their teachers to be in church. I think there's just great opportunities there. What about, uh, so that's, that's school stuff that's on the early end. So we're, we're talking preschool and then um, Christian day school or Lutheran elementary school. Uh, high school setting. Um, and I think if you're willing to come back again, we've already talked about doing a confirmation episode in and of yeah. itself, so I don't want to steal the thunder there too much. But especially in a parish that has a Christian day school or has one in the area that they support kids going to, you have all that catech those catechetical opportunities. You have those formative experiences. Eighth grade comes, and eighth grade is, is now maybe gone. Um, I think we could talk about confirmation and maybe dealing with public school students, which is a different way of dealing because you're not in their school. But for those who are blessed to labor in um, a, a Lutheran high school or a, for our non-Lutheran students, a Christian high school, our non-Lutheran uh, listeners, I mean, um, but especially in a Lutheran high school, which is, is something that I, coming from outside of Lutheranism, something I really appreciate about Lutheranism uh, that is similar to having come out of Catholicism, is that Lutheranism, like Catholicism, really sees schools as a valuable thing. And so we founded um, Lutheran elementary schools. We founded high schools and, and colleges. I mean, how many Lutheran colleges are there out there? Um, you know, compared to the size of the church body, just a ton. Um, what about in the Lutheran high school? We Maybe it's a little bit harder there to have the formation in the sense of the church building's right next to the school. You don't necessarily get to take them into church for chapel, chapels in the auditorium, although right, you right. guys have got new church furnishings. Um, the classroom setting is, is very different, I think, than pastor coming in and teaching a catechism class in, in middle school. They're at a different point in life, um, and I think it can become very easy for their experience of the faith that in a Lutheran high school to become somewhat divorced from their experience of the faith in the parish. Mm -hmm. um, at a lot of our high schools, we talked about um, Wisco, Wisconsin Lutheran High School last time with the diversity where not necessarily everybody is a Wells Lutheran. Um, those experiences can be very varied from having no experience on most Sundays 
um, to having regular experience, what are things that parents and teachers can be cognizant of to maximize the Lutheran high school experience so it's not just my kids are going to private school because our public schools aren't very good here, <clears throat> or my kids are going to private school because I don't want them doing this or that sin, um, or my kids are going to private school because I want them to get into a good college. These are all good things, <clears throat> and I would say um, we've had good experience with the WISCO on all of those. Mm -hmm. My kids have done well academically, and they're, I mean, as far as I know, they're not on heroin or anything, and <laughs> I don't have any grandkids yet, so that's all great. Um, but what, um, what can parents, teachers, Churches, too, right? Most of our high schools have a federation. Um, and sometimes that relationship is strong. Sometimes it's, well, we support the high school, but there's not much knowledge of what's going on. What would be some ways to keep this sort of a focus um, going in those years as well? Yeah, I, I guess I see the, the students who are super active, um, regular in worship, um, are the ones who are asked to be. You know, uh, the ones who really are thriving spiritually are the ones who are um, teaching Sunday school and, and they are ushering and they're singing in a choir or they're, you know, this way or, or another participating in worship, um, the life of the church. And maybe, uh, maybe I can say to middle school especially and um, then high school for parents not to get caught up in what our culture is. Because, you know, as soon as you get to that middle school age, then every parent is in the last-ditch effort panic mode to make sure their kid is LeBron James or Tchaikovsky or something. So they're on AAU teams, and, you know, that, well, they have a tournament this weekend, and they, so now we're going to miss worship. And, well, they got practice, and they're hanging out with their friends. We're just so busy, and we have stuff every single night. And so this is their one night to hang out with their friends. Well, they slept over at their friend's house, and now they're not at church on Sunday. And, you know, just and you'll sometimes even hear, <clears throat> but they're getting their religion at school. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, sorry for, oh, I didn't know that was where you're going for sure, but, but I mean, I remember in the parish, and I still hear that now, a lot of, it's okay though, they're, they have a religion class, but sorry, go ahead then. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's kind of what it, the point is, I guess, what I'm saying is um, not taking in just the academic sense, and then you're good. You're being taught stuff, um, but that the worshiping community, the life of your faith and, and worship together with the, the people of God uh, on Sunday or I suppose whatever whatever day you go, that that's a regular thing for for the kids and that the other stuff, I guess I see that all the time now with, with high school kids, and I'll move to that a little bit. It starts in middle school, but in high school they just get so uh, involved with so many different activities and <laughs> you're constantly trying to build your college resume. So then there's student council stuff and then, oh, I got to take the ACT here because I got to get these test scores and then I got to do the ACT prep and then I got to do this and I got to do that and then there's this practice and there's that. And and what we talked about before, you know, the family devotions, the the, the family altar, um, being regular in worship, that just kind of goes out the window pretty fast. And I, I wonder if we can, if that mindset um, undermines not only the experience of the faith, um, and I think, you know, even even a student's going to chapel in a Lutheran high school, that's great, but chapel's not the Sunday service. And chapel ends when that student graduates. The relationship with a pastor, um, whether that person moves in as a new pastor, it's very important. They're going to want a relationship with a pastor if they've had a good one with their pastor before. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder if that undermines some things vocationally, too, because when high school becomes all about getting ready for the next thing, um, do we maybe undermine the vocation of learning, of being formed, of being a hearer, um, of the value of um, Sabbath, not just Sunday, I don't mean, but but of rest and contemplation. And uh, I think some high schools are trying to buck against that trend, right? But we can also feed into it as parents or as schools. Um, you know, how do we inculcate that that this this is what we're doing here in these four years of you getting ready for adulthood? is preparing you to vocationally do these things throughout life, um, not just uh, crossing off an experience, off, if that makes sense. And, and we do that with college now, too, if they're getting ready for the career and they're, um, they're getting ready for what comes next, that you almost you just want to shake them and say, you get four years just to learn and soak these things in. Um, chill, the rest of life is not as great as you think it. You know? Yeah, right, right. Um, I don't know if there's anything to that. Maybe I'm completely off, but... 
No, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can talk about this. Maybe I'll go back to something that's out there. I think the first name is James. For sure, the last name of the guy is Fowler. Um, and James Fowler, I believe. And, and he really talked about um, stages of faith. Now, we don't want to be too technical about this, so we can debate about that. But there, there's something to this that, you know, that you're that early brain stage as a child, and you're kind of in that wow sense of, oh, and, you know, everything God is so... Um, big and great and mighty. Um, and then you get, you know, through, I'm skipping over stages here, but, you know, like say stage two or three is when your brain starts transitioning into abstract. Um, and, and he would say from a very theoretical standpoint, so not necessarily scriptural, but from a theoretical standpoint, when people reach what he would call like stage four or five is when, is, is when you reach that stage of taking ownership. This is my faith. Uh, and and I'm doing stuff. I'm active, and I'm confirmed. And this is what I, and this is what I believe. You know, the stage right before that is I have tons of questions. Yeah. Um, and that's true for adults who come to the church. They kind of have that wow, this is a neat thing, and then they have lots of questions. And eventually, God willing, they get to that point of faith where they just come to firmly believe this is what I believe. Uh, well, a lot of high schoolers are kind of in that stage of. I got tons of questions uh, about faith stuff. Um, but if we don't have them involved, if we don't have them in worship, if they're not participating, if they're not living their faith, then they're really not taking ownership of their faith. Uh, and they're getting kind of lost in the mix. So I think what you're saying is good. Um, the push for the future, let's press pause a little bit. Uh, I mean, we got to look forward for sure. But let's also grow your faith now. Mm. And, and I think that's really tough in, in, for example, a Lutheran high school setting for a couple reasons. Uh, it was super easy in, in Florida for me to say, hey, uh, come to this church down the hallway uh, on Sunday. It'd be great. And I'm that pastor there. And for me, I think one of my great challenges is, one, if they have some kind of home church, um, for better or for worse, they probably know me way better than their pastor because yep. they see me every day on a field or a court or in the classroom. And that's true here as well, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and number two, if they don't have a home church, how do I go about saying, yeah, you're really you know, learning this faith stuff and I have a great church to recommend to you. It's about five minutes from your house and you've never seen any of the people or met them and you don't know anything <laughs> about the pastor, but you really should go check it out. I mean, we, we still do that, of course, but that's really hard. It's not as easy as, again, when I was in Florida and like, hey, I'm the pastor, nice to meet you, and you develop that relationship is what I'm saying. So that, that is a very big challenge for Lutheran high school education. Maybe last thing and then we can wrap it up. Um, I think, and um, Mike, you can agree or disagree with me, I think in the college setting too, you mentioned the, the questions, the full of questions, and I think we get that a lot as well. And at the high school and at the college, you're teaching theology courses as an academic course. You're giving a grade. There's exams. There's papers. Um, but I feel like, um, I mean, I think I'm an academic theologian. Um, I'm teaching academic classes. But I personally feel like I approach my class, or I ought to approach it, as it's it's different than, um, I'm not going to pick another subject because someone will get offended. <clears throat> um, there's, there's a goal um, that's more than, that grade is a thing I unfortunately have to assign, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and we both flat out say that. Yeah, I don't grade faith in it. I mean, I have a thing in my syllabus about how little I care about what great yeah. they get but um i guess just briefly because i don't want to go too long but your experience at the high school what you know how do you approach a theology class where you're in the realm of the law in a certain extent of <clears throat> you have to give grades there's i'm sure you give a conduct if a kid's you know out of line but <clears throat> how do you how do you foster that dynamic um that it that they still feel there's something i don't know if churchy is the best word but formative or or um there's something more than just, I'm learning these facts. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I say similar things to my kids. I, the way I say it is, um, I expect for this grade to be frosting on your report card cupcake. This is, mm -hmm. is going to boost your GPA, I, mm -hmm. because I don't want to just grade your faith. What I want is to sit here and to listen to the words of Jesus. So I guess for the listeners, I teach um, Acts and, and the letters of Paul to sophomores and some stuff about uh, relationships and marriage and stuff for, for seniors as an elective. Um, we're, we're going to sit here and listen to, to God's word and we're going to hear how it applies to our lives. We're going to hear law and gospel and it's going to crush us, uh, the law, and it's going to restore us and build us back up in the gospel. And we're going to talk a lot about what does that mean for my life. Um, and I think, I guess my experience is 
for high school, and I, I'm sure college is probably very much the same, the kids really get engaged, really appreciate when it's super practical to them right now. Um, when they see, oh yeah, this means something to me. I'm going through this, and this is how Jesus helps me through it. You know, here, here's how God's Word guides me now. This is what matters to me now. So, so being very practical with how God's Word relates to them, uh, rather than let me teach you this fact. I think is a really great thing that the, the students seem to appreciate. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Wade's experience and my experience is similar uh, where there's times, especially like you, if you're doing Pauline epistles, um, you kind of get preachy, and I mean that not in a negative way, but in a good way, and kind of like, okay, we got we got the three, uh, you know, four missionary journeys down, okay, but let's just, just listen to me for a second. Here's here's what it's all about, right? Here's the two kinds of righteousness. Here is the comfort for the sinner. Um, and uh, I would imagine those are where the relationships are built. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, especially when you get to tell the awesome stories of ministry uh, that you experience and, you know, tell of the young preschool child. I had that, a young preschool child who died from uh, brain cancer. And, and you talk through Thessalonians on how, how we don't grieve like other people because we have hope and and some relates that because they, they grandma just died last week and mm -hmm. you know that kind of a thing and, and they they see it they can connect the dots then so it becomes a part of their regular life well thanks we're just about out of time here um i'm sure we'll have you back on something else we'll we'll, we'll see and uh maybe one day you'll come I would, on and, i would really like to do it on confirmation yeah. i think it'd be good and maybe one day you'll come back and we'll have this dissertation as a book maybe and you can you can promote that to our are dozens of listeners. Well, I think we should line up student fans. We can, <laughs> there we, go, student fans. Like we have more than dozens of listeners, just so you know. So it is worth, Sometimes. It's, it's worth your time. My mom, our moms, my moms, that's like four. Peter's sister. That's five. I think our wife sometimes listen, but don't admit mine, it. Mine, mine does. So seven. Well, I require whatever. students to listen sometimes. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, But we hope that, you know, uh, when it comes to an academic thing, when it comes to dealing with children in the church, with parents, um, it's very easy to get back in the law. This is what you do, and this will fix everything if you just follow these laws. But it's really not about that. It's about forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's the ultimate goal. Uh, and then with that, uh, that gospel freedom, uh, we can let our children grow up, uh, get good educations, hopefully uh, go serve their neighbor, and live in the freedom so much so that uh, they can realize that when everything is done for them already in Christ, they have nothing left to do but let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set him up, another round I set him up, another round I set him up, another round One more round won't get me down